0: Welcome to Two Bye Guys, I'm Rob. And I'm Alex. And today we're going to do a little mental health and well-being check-in and uh, discuss what's been going on with us during the pandemic, which is causing lots of mental health issues out there, and uh, dig into Alex's work a little. He's been working at the Trevor Project, so kind of on the front lines of this.
1: Yeah, we obviously all experience some sort of well-being difference since COVID, but also being able to see this on a wider scale. Um, I work with LGBT youth at risk of suicide, have spoken directly to them, have worked in larger capacities too. being able to kind of see that bigger picture. Yeah, it's been an interesting time for folks in at my uh, organization, for sure.
0: Yeah, I bet. I mean, it has none of this is easy for anyone. But some of the statistics that have come out lately just made us want to have this conversation. And believe it or
1: not, like a pandemic like this, it's not something we've lived through. You know, it's it's something new. It's something <laughs> yeah. that is inevitably, and due to all kinds of other factors too, this is a new height of risk of mental harm difficulty than maybe anything we've experienced in our lifetime.
0: Yeah. You know, that first few weeks of it was so intense and so traumatic, especially in New York. And mm-hmm. and at the time, I just thought, let's get through these few weeks. And now it's become this ongoing thing where our daily lives are affected in so many ways.
1: Yeah. COVID is not the only thing we're experiencing right now either. COVID is one thing yeah. that has maybe affected us more than anything else. But the actual level of protests happening in this country due to, mm-hmm. due to brutality committed by cops... Um, against black folks and seeing you know millions of people out on the street and on top of that we also have just a very toxic political atmosphere regardless of what side you're on there's there's so much toxicity there so i think it is it's just a matter of it becoming a perfect storm a little bit and i think it's important to start talking about kind of how do we take care of ourselves how do we take care of each other right
0: i would yes that sounds great (laughs) Um, and, and like, and and the perfect storm. I mean, on top of everything, and a charged political climate, we have possibly the most important and anxiety provoking election season that totally. I, I've ever lived through. And I thought the ones in the past were tough to deal with. And this one, like, just thinking about the election, which is not very far away, gives me anxiety, especially yeah. on top of the pandemic and with the pandemic affecting what could happen in the election? It's a perfect storm. It's insane. And yeah. the, so, the statistics that have been released recently, even though I knew this was affecting people's mental health and well being, I was kind of shocked by some of these statistics. So, the CDC released some findings on Thursday, August 13th. They found that 40% of all adults have reported at least one mental or behavioral health condition. of all adults said they'd experienced symptoms of anxiety or depression. 26% also said they'd experienced trauma or stressor-related disorder symptoms. And, you know, Mm -hmm. with with 160,000 people dead and millions of cases causing long-term physical damage, that's very traumatic, and so that's understandable. 13% said they'd started or increased substance use, and 11% said they had seriously considered suicide in the last 30 days, which is directly related to your job, and actually even more directly related since you work with youth at the Trevor Project. Among 18 to 24-year-olds, 75% have said that they've had at least one adverse mental or behavioral health symptom. So it's 40% for all adults, but it's 75% of 18 to 24 year olds. And then if you go down to that suicide statistic, 26% have seriously considered suicide within 30 days. One in four, which I'm guessing is higher than usual. I don't know what it normally is, but that is a lot. We all probably know someone if it's not you
1: yeah and i think it's important to to remember that these rates were pretty high to begin with for certain populations Mm -hmm. too unfortunately the cdc is not very adept at capturing lgbt well-being for example because they disregard the existence of those folks there is no kind of breakdown of lgbtq americans versus straight and cis americans but we also know that historically speaking LGBTQ Americans overall have always experienced higher levels of all of these mental health disorders, higher instances of substance abuse and suicidal ideation, of course, too. That's why the, the organization I work for exists. So the Trevor Project is a suicide prevention agency. We work in text, chat, and phone platforms, and we work with LGBTQ youth at risk of suicide ages 13 to 24. That isn't to say that we we don't also hear from people even younger than 13 or older than 24, but our service is very much so tailored and focuses on serving those individuals. What you get when you call the Trevor Lifeline or when you text into our texting platform, it's essentially a, con- a conversation with a counselor who is very much so trained to work specifically with crisis. So really just kind of de-escalating a crisis situation and making sure that somebody has a place to talk about that because LGBTQ youth especially may not be out, may not have the avenue to actually have these conversations in the same way that straight and cis youth do, especially when the struggles that they experience are often ingrained in their identity. Mm -hmm. But yeah, essentially, I I have much experience with those individual crises of suicide, child abuse, uh, homicidal ideation anxiety and um, depression that have all increased since the pandemic started. The CDC hasn't released those numbers because they just don't look at children at all. Why? In this study anyways. Because children are are less Americans, (laughs) (laughs) less less capable of that status, I guess. I don't know. The CDC has a lot of flaws in the way that they research, like we said, no children and no queer folks, apparently. Problematic. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also worth flagging that even across gender, just while we're on this track, even across gender, in CDC releases have, the last I saw, had 10 individuals out of thousands who were not men or women, non-binary folks, uh-huh. meaning 0.2% of their respondents, which is wildly like unhelpful uh-huh. for, for our ability to actually see how those folks are struggling.
0: Right. Especially yeah, among so, young people where those numbers are exactly growing faster than an, among any other group.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, like, totally. I mean, they pop quiz, like there are definitely more than 0.2% of the youth who are non-binary. In yeah. some capacity.
0: Oh my God. And totally. just
1: to see so much overlooked there is, is concerning and, and just gives caution to, to our kind of investment in, you know, information that CDC releases.
0: And also, like, I know that something that's been good for me during this pandemic has been, like, the fact that I had already sort of gone to therapy and discussed my sexual orientation and, like, come to terms with it and have a podcast about it that, like, we could yeah. still do in the pandemic— and yeah. and all of that's very affirming. And I can imagine if you're not yet out or you're not yet even come to terms with your own orientation or gender identity or you're figuring that stuff out or you're living with parents who don't know or family members or friends who don't know, like that would exacerbate the anxiety and depression that is coming with the pandemic And so to not even be studying both youth and LGBT people, let alone the intersection of youth and LGBT identities, is kind of crazy.
1: Yeah, you know, this is a hard conversation. I think it's worth flagging that this is two bi guys. But unfortunately, having a discussion about bi mental health right now, bi male mental health even right now, is almost impossible because there just really isn't a breakdown for bi folks specifically right now. Yeah. So we are generally going to be talking probably about LGBTQ folks today yeah. in general. Just knowing that bi folks have historically experienced everything we're talking about at a higher rate than everyone else in the community except for trans folks, of yeah. course. Trans yeah. folks being experiencing things at an even higher level, of course.
0: Yeah, that's true. And actually there was a recent study I just saw that is not related to the pandemic, but it is specific to bi people. Uh, It's a new study published in the Journal of Affective Disorders that found that bi people have up to six times the odds of engaging in non-suicidal self-injury versus heterosexual people, so six times, but also four and a half times the odds uh, when compared to gay men. So this fits with other research and statistics that we've talked about in past episodes that show that negative health outcomes are higher for bisexual people than for gay people or lesbian people. So it just points to the fact that the stigma and misunderstanding of bisexuality is uniquely difficult to deal with.
1: So the Trevor Project does release a, a national survey. Basically, uh, it's the National Survey on LGBTQ Youth Mental Health, and again, this is this is before COVID. Forty percent of LGBTQ youth respondents seriously considered attempting suicide in the last year. Wow. And I think it's worth flagging that another stat that eighty six percent of LGBTQ youth. Said that recent politics have negatively affected their well-being. Mm-hmm. So this is the politics of twenty nineteen that's <laughs> they're really talking about at this point. Yeah, twenty twenty is which is even worse. worse. Now. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, this is a, another thing that specific to the Trevor Project's mission is really important too, is that ten percent of LGBTQ youth reported undergoing conversion therapy, with seventy eight percent reporting it occurred when they were under eighteen. So that isn't just homophobia. That's also saying that you need to now do something about it, that you need to actually take part in something to change who you are. Right. Which is proven in countless studies, every study that's ever existed on it, to have, you know, negative effects on on those folks' well-being.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, I cannot really imagine what that's like I can only relate it to it caused me such mental anxiety and and mental health issues to not be out and to have thoughts in my head that I couldn't say out loud but then on top of that to be gaslit in that way and to be told that what you know and feel and your heart is like bad and you need to change it and that you can change it which is All not true and is bullshit. I can understand why that would be very stressful.
1: Yeah. And two other stats that I've just flagged for myself. In this study, the Trevor Project also found that one in three LGBTQ youth reported that they had been physically threatened or harmed in their lifetime due to their LGBTQ identity. So that is not they were once physically threatened, they were once physically threatened. Because of their identity, and another one is that twenty nine percent of LGBTQ youth have experienced homelessness, been kicked out, or run away. Wow, that is a traumatic experience that informs the way folks respond to years to come, right? If yeah. not decades to come.
0: And so, how? I mean, maybe we're jumping ahead a little, but how do you deal with that? I mean, what are the coping mechanisms, or what do you what do you do to work with people who've experienced that?
1: Yeah, well, and maybe a. a one starting point to kind of segue there sure the fact that nowadays under this through this pandemic we're all quarantining at some point in the last year and these folks who were talking about these young people who were talking about having run away been kicked out or you know been homeless there is either not that option right now and they're trapped in a situation that they want to run away from right or that's happening and it's putting them at much more inflated risk Right now, because now right. there's a pandemic on the streets, therefore it their their life's literally more in danger nowadays. Right, you know it's hard sometimes because it hasn't always been a higher number of calls, a higher number of of people reaching out on chat and text, but instead a higher rate of crisis. A higher there are less and less folks who are at that lower end of crisis where it's manageable, uh-huh. and more and more folks at that higher end of needing something to happen today or else they're in fill in said danger, mm-hmm. whether it's parents or a partner, mm-hmm. there is an increased threat of violence and, and harm to those folks right now. Wow. So the, the approach that I think anybody in that situation, anybody in a situation of abuse or, or domestic violence or anything like that is going through is to make sure that if things get to a point or if things are currently at that point where that is a space that you can't be in anymore that you figure out what the escape plan is. Mm-hmm. You know, escape plans doesn't mean it doesn't mean we're like suggesting people run away from home if they're a thirteen-year-old who hates their parents. But it does mean that developing a plan of of what happens if your life is literally in danger at this moment, or if you literally can't stay there at risk of your of you know taking your own life. It's important to to figure out who those supportive folks are in your life, reach out to those folks and figure out if you can take shelter with somebody in that moment, which is increasingly difficult because of the pandemic, of course. But if your life is in danger, then any level of burden that you're putting on somebody else, or you feel that you're putting on somebody else, is probably worth your life, right? Like it's probably yeah. worth it to save your life. Mm-hmm. And and just making sure, if if that is the case, even like it it sounds awful, but like calling emergency services and just calling nine one one is something that people have to take advantage of in in some cases. You know, nobody ever wants to, like, talk to police, especially where we're also having this huge protest movement against police violence, and that isn't something that everybody's going to feel comfortable with. And it's important to flag that in those situations, there's also mobile crisis units that exist in some areas. Like, just search mobile crisis unit in your town. There may literally be professionals who are equipped to come to your home right now and talk to you about your suicidal ideation if that's what you're experiencing, right? Yeah. To bring you to a hospital if that's what you feel like you need or something like that. Mm-hmm. So the point is that there's there's a lot of resources out there. Unfortunately, it's just concentrated in areas that are generally kind of holding up better, more rural areas, middle of the country. Those places are unfortunately where those resources are fewer and far between.
0: Right. There is one study that was published on June 17th that is about LGBT people. It's called Depression and Anxiety Changes Among Sexual and Gender Minority People, Coinciding mm-hmm. with the Onset of COVID-19 Pandemic. You can look it up, but basically the the main takeaway from it was that LGBT people who previously had anxiety or depression symptoms before the pandemic their symptoms didn't go away, but they also didn't increase very much during the pandemic. Whereas LGBT people who hadn't had those symptoms before, they have experienced a huge increase in depression and anxiety symptoms. And I think part of it, and and they say that part of it, is because if you had these symptoms previously, you had some time to use resources and develop coping mechanisms and maybe come out to family and friends who could be supportive for you or maybe to find a therapist and also you know there's other kinds of support that if you can't turn to friends or family or can't afford a therapist there are other kinds of support groups like there's the buy request group that we go to that's virtual now but there's also like you know we mentioned substance abuse increasing during the pandemic There's also 12-step programs, if that describes you, but also a 12-step program that I attend is called Al-Anon, and people think that Al-Anon is the same as AA, and it's not the same even though the name sounds similar. Al-Anon is for family members or close friends of people with a substance abuse disorder. And Al-Anon, you know, not to plug it (laughs) intensely, but it has been a really nice support for me because it's all about focusing on yourself and self-care and, you know, you can't control or change the addict or alcoholic in your life. But with COVID, there's so many other things we can't control and so many other things that are uncertain, and those meetings have been really helpful for me to become comfortable with the uncertainty and with the lack of control.
1: Yeah. And I do think that it's important to, you know, as somebody who's also looking for a therapist right now and struggling to, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because I used to have a therapist a while ago, but but unfortunately just didn't have health insurance for a few years. So wasn't able to maintain it for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Looking for a therapist is Something that is especially difficult right now because so many people. I mean, the the unemployment numbers are at ten percent right now, and that ten percent right. right now presumably does not have health insurance due to their unemployment. Right. So this is not taking away from that. But if you do have health insurance, I always recommend Psychology Today as as the easiest avenue to find therapists in your area. You can search by zip code. There's so many filters on there too of of what insurance you do have, and they do have an L. Uh, they basically have a. I believe it. It's broken down as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or questioning. Questioning might even be on there too. But the point being that you can make sure that those therapists are specifically like prepared to talk with you about any kind of identity that you do have. Cool. And for our black listenership, too, um, there's a website called Beam. It's it's more than just a website, but it's the um, Black Emotional and Mental Health Collective. And it's just dot community, And on there, there's a lot of resources to find a therapist, too. Plenty of other resources on top of that, too.
0: Yeah. And HRC data from 2018 found that 17% of LGBT plus adults have no health coverage. Mm -hmm. And that's only 12% of non-LGBT adults have no health care. And Among transgender people, it's 32% lack any form of coverage. So, like, it's another irony of the queer community that the people who could benefit from mental health care the most are less likely to have it covered. Yeah.
1: So I am curious with with all of this being said, Rob, to to throw a question back your way, how is your mental health, in your personal experience, changing through this pandemic. Now, before this, even it, yeah. what that, has that looked like, and maybe your well-being to re- reframe yeah. as that even.
0: Um, you know, it's it's been up and down. There have definitely been times I've been getting into a routine and doing things to take care of myself and feeling more hopeful about the future. So it, you know, it hasn't necessarily been five months of of doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. but though but those periods have come like in between some some pretty intense stuff and you know I have been seeing a therapist I started seeing them because I was struggling with my bisexual identity that was super helpful but through therapy I sort of realized that I had always been suffering from anxiety greater than average and luckily I had been able to develop strategies for it and one of the things that's the most helpful is just being able to notice it and being able to talk about it. But at the beginning of the pandemic, it was really difficult, especially being in New York City during you know the those few weeks when we heard sirens every 10 minutes outside the window. I was mm-hmm. very nervous that I would get COVID. I was even more nervous that my parents would get COVID. And they're at much higher risk, given their age, um I was really nervous about that stuff and then you know once that kind of dissipated a little as the infection rate went down, it turned into anxiety about other stuff and anxiety about looking for work and finding a job and where am I gonna live and being with my partner. I was separated from my partner at the very beginning, and thankfully we we made it back together. I got on a plane. Um, it it has been very nice to be together with someone. I will say that 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 mm-hmm. you know even even if we fight, you know we were kind of forced to figure out how to live together all the time, how to give each other space when we need it, and actually going through that was a really positive thing, and it really forced me and my partner to kind of open up and reflect on ourselves and what we needed and how we could give that to each other. So that was like a that was a positive thing coming out of yeah. a very intense time. And then my grandfather passed away in May and that was difficult and it was exacerbated by the pandemic cuz I couldn't be with my family and we didn't have an in-person mm-hmm. funeral. We had a Zoom funeral and the lack of normal things happening around that time was difficult in a way that's that's still almost hard to put my finger on so that was difficult and now now it's like kind of ongoing and it's you know I have good good days and bad in terms of anxiety I have I think getting into routines has been helpful for me trying to exercise every day has been helpful for me trying to do some work every day but not too much work has been helpful I think my anxiety sometimes manifests in like I always feel like I should be working and I should be productive. And sometimes in the pandemic, I have had to remind myself that it's okay to not be productive every single day, every single hour. It's okay to take a break. It's okay to rest.
1: Yeah. And what I hear a lot in what you're saying is like, the idea of Kind of maintaining some semblance of norm- normalcy right right like because our lives have been so uprooted yeah routines are have been a huge i think huge advantage
0: yeah totally and one other thing i feel like a lot of bi people i talk to are similar in this way that's just anecdotal i don't know but i've i've always been a people pleaser and i've always been the kind of person who wants to make sure other people are happy and comfortable before I even consider that about myself sometimes. And so that's Mm. something I've worked on in therapy and in other groups. But especially during the pandemic, I've had to remind myself, and it's been helpful to do so, that like I can't control other people's feelings and emotions and routines, and I don't have to do that. Like, that's can't be my responsibility because it's too much responsibility if people around you need help and need support and ask for it from you by all means you can be helpful and be supportive but you cannot control what's going on in other people's heads if you try to do that it isn't helpful for them and it isn't helpful for you and so that's been a more of a struggle in the pandemic because everyone is going through stuff and I feel for people and I want to do something. And yeah. sometimes you just can't. And the best thing you can do for other people is to take care of yourself, yeah. which is hard and counterintuitive, totally. but it really is true. Like, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. the support I need from the people close to me is for them to just take care of themselves also.
1: Yeah you know i see that so much working with so many people who are are literally mental health professionals like seeing so much of that as as just demonstrating how to take care of yourself too mm-hmm. like demonstrating that this is what you should like and it helps me to see other people take care of themselves right because it reminds me to take care of myself and and vice versa i yeah. hope right
0: right yeah and also setting boundaries i mean that's a, a way to take care yeah. of yourself and i was always really bad at setting boundaries and I'm still working on that, but but that's a way to take care of yourself and boundaries are especially difficult in the pandemic, but also especially necessary. And I think sometimes boundaries can seem to other people like a bad thing and like you don't mm-hmm. love them or you don't want to be with them or you you know, you don't want to be supportive, but actually, Boundaries are very loving. Boundaries are a way to take care of yourself so that you can be there for other people. They're okay. They're necessary. Whatever boundaries you need, you shouldn't feel bad about setting them.
1: Yeah. And I think it's hard, especially in this situation where it's easy to just kind of jump in and try to help everyone who reaches out. Right. I actually feel like it's it's somewhat easier to, to just not answer. And I, I can sometimes like isolate myself in that way
0: yeah well go on what about you how have you been uh dealing with this what's your well-being and mental health been like yeah
1: i think that the only way to talk to talk about it because i haven't talked much about my own well-being and mental health history on the podcast at all is to go back a little bit and just kind of explain what led me to even work at the trevor project and everything else too yeah is that i went through and during college i had years of of severe depression. I was on medication. I was going to therapy. I had one major suicide attempt at one point, including a suicide note and was ended up hospitalized that time. And one other time for my suicidal ideation, severe depression based on my own internalized queer phobia, basically. And, you know, I had, I had all the resources in the world handed to me, and thankfully, very much so, you know, a year after that attempt, things had very much so shifted into a new direction. But I also will say that that about a two or three years after that, I also experienced sexual assault for the first time. I experienced it a couple of times after with that in moving to New York and being kind of in this community, just being able to, to put myself in situations that were less safe, just just led to that, um, unfortunately. So that was a, a slight bump of maybe some mental health difficulties that i didn't even realize were happening as much but like even just reckless choices and and just feeling more anxiety than than normal and nowadays unfortunately it's it's kind of another peak that i'm definitely noticing for myself i am much more prepared to deal with it than i ever have been before so by all means like i can also be proud of myself for for taking care of myself as well as i am but I am definitely experiencing more anxiety than I ever have in my life. <laughs> like, that is, that is 100% true. I've had small, like, bouts of depression here and there. Like, a complete lack of motivation to do things. And we hinted at it before, but it's partially due to, due to this pandemic that is literally rampaging through this country. And it's terrifying on some days, right? It's also just due to the fact that everything is so much more difficult on the daily like work being remote and friends being you know even further away talking to people over text and phone is not the same you know and not being able to to find the same sense of community with like my bi folks in the city point being that being able to acknowledge those things being able to like talk with people about those things and make sure that I am actually actively seeking out a therapist, that I am actually seeking out ways to to make sure that I continue to speak about it and continue to find my own set of support. You know, I, I think that that's the most important thing yeah. right now. And I relate to you in, in respect to making sure that I'm like not working too much too. Because I think it's, especially now that a lot of us are just at home all the time, it's so hard to tell when your productivity is supposed to stop because you just, right. you don't have like that drink state with somebody later on. Right. right. You, you just, you're just at home and at your computer is there for you to be working at all day long. Right. You
0: could always be working. You could, there's never yeah. the commute time. There's never the drinks. Right. Exactly. Yeah. When you can exactly. shut your brain off, it never happens. It's so hard.
1: Yeah. And even just like explicitly speaking about work too, and, and working remotely, not being able to have a commute in there and not being able to have that moment where you're just, like, reading on the train or listening to music on your walk home or something.
0: That down As, like,
1: a sign that, like, you are not working anymore. This is, like, the beginning or the end of work. You are now done. Right. Like, that doesn't even exist anymore. Right. Unless you make it happen, though. Like, unless you create that, Right. right? Like, getting outside and, like, just going on a walk before and after work or something like that. That's definitely one of the the key ways I'm managing since so much of my anxiety does come from the sheer amount of work that is put on my plate.
0: Right, you need those demarcated times and spaces. Otherwise your whole lives just blend together and it's all always work time. Exactly. So Alex, I'm curious, like when you had a, the suicide attempt after that what was helpful for you personally and also say you know somebody dealing with that or even you just know somebody dealing with anxiety or depression what's a good way to be supportive and to help deal with that
1: yeah i guess we didn't really like explicitly talk about that um <laughs> the but important part <laughs> yeah you know the the way to to work through so many of these things is so similar like you know, I, I refer to a, a suicide attempt that was very scary. It was a, a clear crisis, but also crises are sometimes smaller and just like being able to support folks when they tell you that they're feeling depressed, when they f- tell you they're feeling anxious or something like that. Yeah. Sometimes you it's hard to realize kind of how deep those thoughts might go and what that could lead to. My big points to, to anybody who asks this, talk to them, right? Talk to them, listen to them. And with that, make sure that you are leaving more space for them than for yourself, uh-huh. right? Because it, in those situations, something that can be really hard, but really important is making sure that you are collaborating with them rather than giving them advice. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's really important to make sure that they realize that you're with them, and that you're just looking to hear more about their experience, right? Yeah. You know, comparing struggles, giving pointers, that doesn't really work as much as just asking them what you can do for them, Mm -hmm. right? And be reasonable with yourself. Don't take everything on, obviously. Like, don't take this person's life on to yourself. You know, set those boundaries like we were talking about. Yeah. But even just asking somebody, like, do you want to talk? What do you want to talk about? How are you feeling right now? How does it feel when fill in the blank?
0: Yeah, that all makes so much sense to me. And it actually makes sense because of the experience I had with my bisexuality, because one of the things that was just so hard about it before I came out was not talking about it and not being Mm -hmm. able to talk to people who understood and who wouldn't judge and who would just listen. Like the act of actually talking about it was so helpful for me to process it. And so it makes sense that just giving people space to talk and not necessarily telling them what to do or yeah. giving them advice could be really helpful. And another, just it makes me think of another thing with my bisexual experience that I've dealt with during the pandemic. It's that Walt Whitman quote. Do I contradict myself? Very well, then I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. Mm-hmm. And I I have that quote up in my kitchen and when I put it up, it was all about my sexuality and about holding these two ideas that seem to be contradictory, but are both existing inside of you. And and at one point, that was the idea that I could be like men and like women. And that seemed contradictory for most of my life. And I went through this process dealing with my sexuality and realized that those are not contradictory. Both things can be true. And That idea has come up for me so much during the pandemic that, like, I want to go outside, but I also don't. I'm scared of going outside or like, you know, I I feel hopeful about something and I'm also terrified about these other things. And these things seem contradictory, but they're all true. Just noticing those things and being able to name those things and talk to someone. It doesn't have to be a therapist. It could just be a friend. Like, being able to yeah. say those things out loud and talk about them and hold all those things together at once, it's all happening inside of you, and it's all valid, and it's all okay, whatever yeah. it is you're feeling.
1: Yeah, whatever you may be feeling right now, whatever somebody you know may be feeling right now, somebody else has felt the same way, right? So if you're feeling like there's something wrong with the way you're, you're feeling in that moment, like, would you say the same thing to somebody else who... At the same time, somewhere else in the world is literally thinking the same thing to themselves. Right. You know, our feelings are what they are and feelings exist for a reason.
0: Right. And that's so similar to my buy journey, too, which is like I was going through this stuff. I thought alone and I thought I was the only one who exactly. thought this way for yeah. so many years. And then I finally connected and, re- and it was so helpful to realize that other people were going through the same thing. And the pandemic is the same. Like, we're we're literally yeah. isolated from other people. And it's so much harder to connect and to realize that, like, whatever you're going through, so many other people are dealing with that too. And if you can find those people or just find people who you can talk to about that, it's very validating and, and helpful. Yeah.
1: Just to kind of wrap us up, something I think that's really important is making sure that you fill out the census yes. soon. Because the census, while this may feel like a non sequitur, that is how resources get supplied to your communities, by making sure that the government, that everybody out there knows that your community exists and that you are a part of it.
0: And register to vote. Check now to make sure you're registered to vote. And if you are registered to vote, apply for an absentee or mail-in ballot now. Just do it. If you don't live in a state, that's going to send it directly. Everyone needs to vote in this election. Yeah. It's never been more important. And thanks for listening. We will be back soon with some more interviews. So stay tuned and take care of yourself. Two by Guys is created and hosted by Alex Boyne and me, Rob Cohen. Our logo art was designed by Caitlin Weinman, and our music was composed and created by Ross Mincer. Season two is executive produced and edited by me, Rob Cohen, and produced by Alex Boyd and Moxie Pung, with support from IFP. Thanks for listening to Two Bye Guys.